I have been a rich man and I have been a poor man and I choose rich every fucking time. <laughs> We brought on a heavy hitter this week. He hates being called us, but Mr. Bobby Axelrod. <laughs> right. It's come through. <laughs> He's come through. We managed to get time in his diary in between jet setting, freestyling, Rolex wearing. We've got the man himself weighing in 92 kilograms, six feet tall, heavy hitter, Peter. A mentor, a friend, a privilege to have the man finally on the Bank Bros podcast. Welcome, sir. Hello, how are you? <laughs> be good, be good. You yeah, know, no Rolex on today. That's, that's in service. You know, I have to let you down on that one. <laughs> oh, no, we got the wrong guy. Yeah, you. Maybe I'll find him in the garden, you know. <laughs> no, listen, I, I really, really appreciate both, both Vince McMahon and myself really appreciate you taking time out. Yep. I mean, you, you, let's actually talk about that, Peter. Like, you spoke about Rolexes. Let's talk about the misconceptions of what it is like being a professional money manager. I mean, people think you wake up in the morning, you know, you jump into the Gulf Stream or you hop into the Brabus, you ride around for a couple of hours, pop some Ace of Spades, put on, try on a couple of Rolexes, get a fitted tailored suit, go back home, Michelin star restaurant, call over a couple of Playboy models, maybe two, maybe three, who knows. But what's life really like day to day? I mean, you talked about the first 30 minutes, right? So, yeah, you know, so that first 30 minutes of today are pretty much like that. But afterwards, it gets a bit tricky. You know, it's like, yeah, I mean, you pretty much, you know, do the same routine like everybody else. You get up in the morning, right? Pet your dog if you have one. Or your wife, you say goodbye, you know, or something. Or maybe she's gone by the time you come back or something. You never know, right? You know, with your money or something. So that's bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nowadays, you'll never know. But no, let's be serious. So what you do normally is, what I do is I check the market directions from yesterday and in Japan, if it started out already, just to see what's going on. I checked our own portfolios in context of where we are, um, what potentially could be better. So then you lined up uh, a chat or a call to someone for later down the road then you look at the news what is there news kind of are important and they're not because you filter them out um, depending on on the, the strategy you drive and uh, then you kind of just go on and start to ask yourself a few questions and the rest of the day pretty much is homework and what I call homework is 
you read up as much information as possible because information is the key. The more you know, the better you can make your decisions. Um, you have calls with people that want to sell you all kind of things. You know, you want to participate here, there and everywhere. So you know, that takes time. Mm -hmm. And then you just weed out. So it's, it's just literally the assessment of the information you get, how you filter it and what you make as the best out of it. And, and that's pretty much what it is. So for me, that means like till like 10 o'clock in the morning, wherever I am, I read maybe 12 newspapers by the time. Wow. Um, and I'm starting to look at other blogs and things like that from people I know who are in the business for a long time. Uh, you interact with some people and then normally from that time on the market opens in Europe already. So you kind of start to have some calls with people somewhere else and interact mm -hmm. and blah, blah, blah. But we have to understand that, that now it's a bit different because I'm technically not in a hedge fund anymore. It's, it's a family office, so it's a bit different because you technically manage a different sort of funds than you do in a hedge fund. Hedge funds normally is funds by various investors and the family office generally is limited to your own funds or a small group of investors. So it's a bit different. And also these people need a bit more pampering. Hedge funds more like, you know, they, they care about the numbers. The numbers suck, then, then you have a problem. Um, and otherwise you're pretty good. So pretty much that covers the ground. But yeah, I mean, I read more balance sheets than people probably look at Playboy pictures and uh, <laughs> a little more, I see more quarter results and whatever and blah, 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 than I sometimes like. But yeah, I mean, that that's that's life of that you choose, right? Yeah. The information is king. And the more you know, the, the better you can use it to your advantage, right? Uh, no, 100%. You know, Peter, before you got onto the broadcast, we asked you know, the BankerX community to submit some questions, you know, I, what would you like us to speak about it? Probably the most common question was, how did you get here? You know, you fast forward, you know, so many years in the business, you've been in finance, in stock markets for a long, long time, right? And I think a lot of people will almost feel like there's a secret recipe and a secret ingredients that you know you can you, you can do to get there. But I, I just want to find out you know your story and how you got to where you are now. Um, so I I was once a young kid and I thought like I want to be a lawyer. Sounds stupid, but it's true. Um, so I went into an internship. Um, in a law firm and um, it took me like two days to find out to be a lawyer is a real shit job um, you know, <laughs> I mean uh, sorry I don't want to upset people <laughs> you, you have just destroyed the hopes and dreams yeah, of done. so many people you're done it's like, mean, that's it we're done yeah, I mean, you, study, you, you study your ass off and then you know it's probably one of the hardest thing you can study apart from psychology and the odds to break in are very difficult pretty much everywhere. The work hours are nuts. You, you work like an idiot. Are you sleep in the office? I mean, investment banker compared to that is like a holiday camp. Um, and <laughs> at least you got paid. Um, 
and last but not least it 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 is you know you think the law is is like yeah you know you do something good you win and then you find out oh well you know it's just how you argument so you you can argument in various ways and spin the story whatever you want so it's not about as good as you think it's more about the results you care yep that's my opinion okay i have lawyers too i love them dearly and they work really good so shout out to them um but yeah they drive nice cars so i can say whatever i want um, <laughs> i'm just I'm, I'm disappointed to learn that it isn't like the tv show suits where you can just like stumble into a job interview and then become a lawyer i really no. thought it was <laughs> what no. it's not law and order you, you just yeah. don't pitch up and realize suits i'm i'm, I'm, I'm I, I know it's deflated. cheated yeah I know the, oh, the, the, the. I mean you know don't take it wrong it's just like for me when when you're looking like you go in the field of medicine or you become a lawyer you study so hard mm -hmm. and when yeah. you actually see the payout at the end and as the reward it's not as good as people think you know when you yeah. want to you become an investment banker you pretty much can shoe, tie your shoelaces and that's it right I mean much more is not required I mean some people don't like to hear that but it's the truth <laughs> <laughs> and then you just get paid a shitload of money if you're good at it because just the way you do things um so that's fine right but not everybody is carved out of that wood so to come back to the story so that was mm -hmm. that my dad used to work for an american bank and he was doing merchants and acquisitions so i had kind of idea what these people are doing um but back then it was very different than it is nowadays. The deals were much smaller, you know, and the field was much smaller or whatever. So I had an idea. And so he's lined up for me uh, an apprenticeship, I mean, an internship, sorry, um, the following year. So I went to uh, uh, a bank, which in, in, in the US and um, did two months and it was kind of cool. I had some background from investing already as a kid I invested some money and thought it's funny mm -hmm. um, and then I thought like why not right so then I went to university I graduated I got a job offer that was those days people actually offered you jobs at the university you didn't have to find them um, and I had to choose between two American banks one was Goldman Sachs to them I didn't go I don't know why I probably thought they once will have a DJ as a CEO so that's not really <laughs> what I wanted <laughs> and so I ended up with their competition which is now bought by another American bank um, so yeah that's that and went to the ropes became principal at uh, the age of 23 so I had my own trading desk, I had my own people. Um, I was always sent them to places where shit hit the fan, whatever. So it was my job. I made good money for them, but I felt like it's kind of weird and whatever. And then we had a dispute one day about my socks. They did not like they were brown and my shoes what? were brown. <laughs> I'm not kidding. What? I am no. not kidding. What? No. Okay. no, I'm not fucking no. kidding. And I'm like, fuck you. I'm sorry. Okay, but whatever. I said it so we can bleep it out. I don't no, care. No, no, we don't. We, we don't bleep that out. <laughs> so the next day I came to work in a, in, a, in a red suit with yellow shoes and blue socks. And the guy was furious. He was furious. And he's like, you have to go home. I'm like, for what? And the guy was an old military guy. So he was like a, a Marine or some shit. And then he made that career. So he was just like, you know, it's my way or the highway type attitude. Wow. 
And I said, okay, that's the highway for me. I'm out. And I left. And I took a job for uh, a private equity company, which was a small shop back then, pretty small. They offered me uh, a job. It, it was a client of mine, so I had an intro, to be fair. So I went to San Francisco for them. And it was kind of cool, but not really what I wanted. It was just the same thing on steroids in, in any context. Mm -hmm. And the the direct like the real cool thing is the parties were great. I really loved the parties. Like we had once a birthday party and a Rolling Stone showed up and all kind of thing gave a concert. Nice. So that was pretty cool. Oh man. And you're like, oh wow, you know, like you know, back then we couldn't take pictures like nowadays and put on the gram. You know, what I missed out on opportunities is so upsetting <laughs> me right now. It's not even true. Right? Hey, you survived, so, man. You actually made uh, it. Yeah, you part of hardly, hardly. And you actually made it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then, then I quit that too. Um, there was a bit of dispute about money in the meantime with my old company, and then I said, "Screw this!" I went back to Texas where I finished my high school, as we all can hear from my accent, right? I'd really mm -hmm. sound like them, right? And <laughs> very, very distinctive stuff. Yeah, yeah. Walk in uh, Texas. Yeah, uh, I still wear the boots, you know, even to bed. Uh, and then I went there. I have a friend who had uh, a landscape company and one guy who was running a maid service. So I ended up cleaning carpets and then the other day doing garden thing, right? For six months. Wow. Wait, wait, wait. Peter, oh, oh, I don't believe this. You went from running a trading desk and making billions a year to cleaning carpets. In a few months. Uh, the last year I worked, I, 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 yeah, I made nice money. Yeah, yeah, I could pay my bills and there was still some left. Yeah, yeah, and then I got a bonus. And then I worked for four hours, uh, for $4.25, as it is still today. You know, wow. these, these, wow. these people still make that kind of money. But it was for me more a question of structure. I wanted a to find out if I really want to stay in this field. And second, I had an idea how to do a business but I was not 100% sure how to to do my business plan, how to dial it up and whatever. And so what I did is I said, okay, I'll, I'll make my business plan, but I didn't want to sit on my fucking sofa. I used to have for it again, god damn. <laughs> this is the Bank Bros podcast. <laughs> R18 SNVL, it's fine. Every time you drop an F-bomb, we'll delay 10K to charity. <laughs> okay, cool. So that's, that's, that's this. And so I ended up just not wanting to be like the guy sitting on my sofa and, and do like my business plan with pizza and beer or something, right? It's just, I felt like now that's not it. I wanted a structure because I had it from work and I was kind of used to it to work that much. So I had so much time. I kind of did not want to just sit there and, you know, time kind of is overwhelming. So I decided to do it like that. And it was also more a calibration of my, um, the way I am as a person, because you, you have responsibility for others and now you get told what to do just to see what that would feel like, you know? Um, so if you stay in that field or not, because it was for me really the question, do I want to really become a boss and nobody ever tells me again what I do apart from your clients probably, or, um, you literally say, screw this, you know, it's fine. I go back and, and, you know, you become another yeah. B from someone else, whatever. Right. So, so that's that, you know, okay. 
but so that that then ended in context that the business plan was was evolved was printed and then I quit the job and started to look for clients that was the fun part you know mm-hmm. when you when you think that sitting on the sofa and do the business plan is the hard part you wake up the reality it's a piece of cake all right mm-hmm. that took only 18 months to get my first client <laughs> only <laughs> only and, and, and this is with your history in this field right i mean you're yeah, not starting right. cold you actually have wow 18 uh, months yeah, yeah no people give people give a flying fuck about you when you go on they just don't care yeah you have to make everything you start from scratch right um especially because you you want to run a book so you want to take on clients in many company the clients are clients of a company not of you right mm-hmm. so you're leaving so they stay sometimes behind right and if you take them with you that technically can be a bit tricky right so and i decided to have a clean cut I already had legal issues about my pay as my bonus. So I'm like, screw this. I'm not going to go for more trouble. If I want more trouble, then I date three people at the same time. Right? Oh, I don't have too close to home. <laughs> I can tell you, this trouble, man. Trust me. Trust me. Honey. Okay. So, yeah, you know, and then, yeah, it started out like that. And the usual thing, people who come from a corporate background think, I can start a company, it starts tomorrow, right? Misconception number one. Misconception number two is you have unlimited funds because you have a bit money. That money goes faster away than you can save money. Um, and when you start not to get paid for what you do, you live out of your savings, right? Or whatever you have. So that's that's a fun part. So And the second thing is when you work in investment banking, you have a huge structure behind you. And then you go on your own, you have nothing behind you, but you want all of these things, right? You're like, okay, I'll take this, I'll take that and that. And investment banking or finance is just not a field where all of these things really come free. Like maybe nowadays you can, but even back then, some terminals were not like $5, right? They, mm-hmm. they wanted money um, and, and you wanted access to prime brokers, whatever, that's not cheap. You know, so and all of that. So there was that. So there was times um, within this 18 months, I thought like, you know, screw this. I'm going to go back to a job. At least I get paid. So I have money for the strip club or something. Mm-hmm. Um, Very important. You know, yeah, well, Texas, you know, te- that's a big thing there. They go there on Friday <laughs> for the barbecue. Really? People go, really? They go there. Yes, they go there Friday for the barbecue to eat because it's free buffet. Are you like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know? <laughs> <laughs> all you can eat at a strip club. Wow. Yeah. That is, you know. it's all kinds of wrong. What right can, <laughs> everything is on offer. <laughs> no, not really. You know, not everything. That, okay. They're not oh, like oh, that. Thanks, they're thanks, pretty thanks, tight. Sorry, got it. I appreciate okay, it. cool. So, and then I, I was literally at the point where it cuts really narrow and money was tight. Um, and then I had luck. I have to admit it. It's the truth. And I met an investor and he pretty much opened up the door and from there everything took off. So it's the only thing you need is, is you have to have a plan which works. You have to have people believing in you that you can execute. And when you then prove you can execute your plan, the money then afterwards will follow up. So that was that simple and that difficult. Cool. It, it's actually, I'll be honest, it's it's really cool that you went from sort of like literally doing the thing you wanted out of university and then pulling up the handbrake and resetting 
like just that 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 period of just do I actually want to do this that self-discovery is really cool um, I don't think enough people do that actually that complete break and recalibration I mean the point is that many people probably can't afford it you know <laughs> it's 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 like you you know you work in a job and you need another job so it's kind of it, it depends what kind of life you have right but that industry is is pretty good on pay and when you walk out of the door like they send you home they give you garden leave you know i mean mm. the numbers are not like as they are today but it was it was substantial money and i did really well before and uh, you know it's not like i bought five cars or something i never cared about these things at that time i never had time so you know it's <laughs> it's it's more a concept of of understanding and i think it helps sometimes that when you want to make decision that you step away sometimes just for some time and think about it before you actually pull the trigger because sometimes you think that's really something you want and then 20 minutes later you think like shit that is nonsense what mm. was that even you know and that, that to me worked sometimes very well i mean it sounds stupid to say that because you work in the field of investments and you sometimes have to make decisions fast but for us the return of my investments the ones which are the best are actually the ones which are long run like i have one stock i have twenty two thousand percent return of investment i haven't sold it since i bought it on the ipo Still Damn. Two thousand percent it's crypto numbers not yeah, is crypto is crypto 20 times leverage numbers <laughs> nft no, on margin numbers yeah <laughs> I mean, you know, everything is timing and the rest is just what you do with it, right? I mean, and sometimes the things you miss, you know, they're, they're your biggest losses, the things you left on the table, right? So that's another thing. But you just have to overlook that and say whatever. You know, it's it's not it's easy as it is, right? So, yeah. You know, Peter, the, the one piece of advice you've given me that sticks with me every single time I book a trade is... You know, always have a target price. Always know when you're gonna sell. Know why you're buying it, and you know, be disciplined. How difficult is that when you sell a position? Let's say Bitcoin. You sell it at fifty thousand, and, and you know, a week later you see it at sixty-five or seventy. I mean, emotionally or in your mental state, does that ever affect you? Or once you sell, it's like a breakup. You're done. You don't even go back and check what she's up to, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't have those breakups. I still are in, in, in good terms with my ex. We talk every couple of months. We have a daughter together, so that's better. Well, she's already a big girl, you know. I mean, woman, not a girl, sorry. But so that's that. Um, nevertheless, um, I never look back. I don't care. I look at opportunities. I, I bought AMC, I sold it at like 20 bucks or something. It went much higher. So now I can say, oh, screw it. I left like whatever amount of money on the table. Yeah, good for you, right? Do I have time for this? No, I don't care. Um, I'm pragmatic. I set a target. I reach the target. I'm out. There are, there are things which maybe you say whatever. So I buy stocks which I keep for a really long time. I have them for like almost 20 years even um so i'm not even intent to sell them i would sell them if i have to if that makes sense or borrow mm -hmm. against them whatever i could do 
Um, but if I trade, when I look at an opportunity, you do the technical analysis, you're looking where you see the, the, the stock could go, you ask yourself at what uh, price you're going to make an exit, whatever, and then you call it a day. You walk out, close the book, and that's it. Um, it, it makes no sense to to dwell about money you did not make because that's a waste of your time. It's just mm. not worth it. Yeah. You know, every, every time an opportunity comes, I mean, Warren Buffett will tell you, ah, you know, if you make investments with this, with this, what do you call that? This, this card, this thing, you have to scratch it off or something or whatever. Yeah, you yeah. Get 50 or 20 yeah. opportunities, whatever, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, in your life, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, it works for him, right? But we live nowadays a bit in a different environment. The, the market is very different than it used to be. Um, volatility is very different nowadays. Um, so crypto right now is a bit more what the stock market used to be in terms mm -hmm. of volatility. Stock market is not really that volatile anymore. You know, you can just pick something and wait it out. You get lucky or not, right? But that's the difference between somebody who is a professional investor and somebody who is, is an amateur. But we have to be honest. There are people out there who don't do this for a living and they beat anybody all the time, right? Mm -hmm. And so we could should have a conversation with them one day. How the heck are they doing it, right? Throwing dots. So this is this. <laughs> Whatever, you know. But my take is... But I'm an institutional investor, so I'm looking for certain targets, I'm looking for certain investments, certain return of investments, whatever, and then I take it with that. And you use leverage. So that means that you can use all kind of derivatives, whatever is on the market to leverage your position. So the stock going up is just part of the story. You know, it's like if you're in with with calls, the stock goes up and your calls go up, it's a very nice day, right? And you already use warrants or whatever. So it's always a question of the bundle of investments you use combined. And it's, it's a percentage game. So you don't really care, do I do this, do I do this? It's more like overall what you do. And it's always a question of, on their, of the amount of money as the asset under management you have. So you have 100 million euros, 10%, this is a substantial amount of money. If you have... 100 billion euros nobody has but let's pretend okay maybe maybe some state fund you make 0.1 percent that's already a substantial amount of money right so mm -hmm. it, it's it's always a question not just the percentage itself it's also what kind of money you have mm -hmm. but then said that the, the bigger your fund is technically the more difficult it is to make big return numbers so it's it's a, it becomes more difficult Peter, it's great that you, you covered that, right? Where it's very difficult, you know, when you have a big portfolio to generate these big enough terms in, in, absolute, in absolute numbers, in, in absolute quality. How, how do you manage that when you get to a point where you have a book that's so large and you're looking across your opportunity of asset selection and on one side you have bonds yielding negative real rates <laughs> and on the other side you have a stock market with valuations that are just disgustingly high they don't just disconnect it to fundamentals you know in the US and in Europe some parts of Europe 
what do you do? Do you decide, okay, I'm just going to be overweight cash or I'm going to look at emerging markets or uh, what's the smartest thing you can do when you have that much money to, um, to work with? So it depends. As a hedge fund, what we did is we, we segmented. What I mean with segment is we, we limited the funds. So when we, we had more than 2 billion euros in one fund, we broke it up and we made a new one. That number then increased to 5 billion euros. So this is this. But I truly believe that everything over a billion euro is too much money. Are we talking 15 billion SAR or mm. like 1.5 billion US plus minus or maybe less now, maybe 1.2. I don't know. Uh, mm. I have not. I have to check not a dollar. Sorry. Um, but nevertheless, so it, it just you overweight the market, especially when you work with derivatives and all that kind of thing. The leverage you're going to have just becomes too big. So you kind of have to, to balance it out. So this is one thing you do. And the second thing is if you are working alone or if you work with others, then you just have to see how you align the strategies because all of them work their own strategies. You give them the freedom to do that because that makes you having higher returns. So if, if you start to say, let's work like a bank or investment bank, you do this, you do that, you do this, and you give people only certain like opportunities they can tap in, you just leave money on the table to some degree, right? Because some strategies just apply that, that you, people say, you know, when I do this, this works in correlation, right? So I would like to do that. And you say, okay, cool, let's try it, right? And it works. So and if you would lift that correlation out, then somebody else makes money because all these hedge fund guys work on commission so you make money based um as a base salary and the rest is performance based right so when one guy is in a position he makes all the dough and the others make nothing somebody's not going to be very happy right mm -hmm. and so this is one so we segmented it literally by by that now as a family office i segmented it in 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 three or four parts technically what i mean with that is I have bonds and crypto, which technically is also cash in there. I have stocks and that's pretty much it. And I do a little bit of ETFs and I do a little bit of uh, real estate and things like that. But, but so that's segmented like down. But I try like my cash position is probably 10%. That's mm. it. Crypto by now is like... 40% almost because it just mm -hmm. increased that much and the rest is pretty much in stocks but stocks for me at the moment because as a, a family office we we devalue the risk in a bit so we take it out of the portfolio so the return of investment as in percentage went down so I could push uh, a higher return of investment but then that's for me at the moment not what I want. I want uh, a return of investment in, in, in dollar terms. Mm. So I, I choose a bit more conservative stocks, which at the moment also are not really uh, priced in a way they should be. So they have more potential to come up. So this is this. And the, the past two years, we benefited also from that COVID and, and that the market uh, took uh, a little bit of a, a hit and went down so this is this 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 is pretty much how we do it right mm. for now uh, peter i mean you got into crypto 
really, really early. <laughs> you know, and it's incredible. I, are you surprised that it's actually run this hot and yeah. done this well? Yeah, I, I, I liked the blockchain. I was very interested in the blockchain behind that. I thought that's a great thing because we always looked at value chain management and all these things just in time management for companies. And I just thought that the blockchain could just double it up. You know, like we might work in a project which makes autonomous decisions for you as factories, whatever, and you could link it up together. So it was always very interesting. And then when this cryptocurrency started to come out, which was sort of connected to it, I thought, like, why not? Right. <laughs> uh, so they, they spiked a bit and then they came back down hard. And I thought, like, OK, let's do this. Let's buy some. And uh, I had a bit of fuck you money. Uh, well, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and uh, put it in there. And literally, it was a trial balloon, you know, like the NASA makes these nice little balloons. Let's fly it up there. Let's see what is up there. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was literally this. Uh, due context, due time, rather. Uh, we did more and more homework. We could see the acceptance and a lot of things with it coming. Uh, the potential it has. I'm not going to say all of these cryptocurrencies will sustain. I'm not going to say this and this is good. Um, I have a basic knowledge till today of it, quite frankly, but um, the potential I see, especially because people want to buy it. I always like Bitcoin because it's limited to 21 million units. That's a great thing. Whatever you limit in, 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 in availability potentially has potential to go up in price. So that was for me one thing which I really liked about it. So yeah, I got lucky and bought it at $46.88, right? So, yeah. Oh. Yeah. But I'm not going to say how much I put in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, let's put a billion in, you know. That, that's not true, right? Come on. No, no, no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm just throwing numbers out, you know. But, Peter, you know, this week we saw Visa getting into the NFT game and yeah. getting involved. And, you know, initially... There was a lot of skepticism around NFTs and how it works. And is this just, you know, tulip bubble? Is there any underlying trail to this? What's your take on it? It's very hard. I mean, when I, you know, I went once to South Korea and I was trying to find an ATM to cash my, my money, right? So to find an ATM in South Korea is worse than whatever. You just can't find it. So this is this. But then you're looking at the way they do. Everything they do is paid on their phones, whatever. That's a long time ago we're talking, right? So they adopt everything very, very fast. So um, so when I look at that, I started to think about how do they spend money? And I see that they spend 2,500 euro a nose a year on apps. Like literally, app purchases, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, would I buy an app? I ask myself, I'm like, no way. Why should I buy an app, right? For what? I can get it for free somewhere, right? But then I start to look at it with a different angle and started to look at also the NFTs and everything. And does it have potential? Hard to say. But there's an artistic approach to it or they try to have that and there's a market for it and it sells at the moment. So we just started to look at it. I am have not bought anything yet, but I actually looking at what is there and if it has potential to be bought 
it's it's for me i look at it a bit like art it i have mm. paintings i can put on my wall so it's kind of the same thing and it's not because it's an electronic form of it so it then has its its benefits whatever but i can see the value of it i can see that when you buy something for a certain price that somebody potentially will pay for it more if the mm. demand is there or they like it right it's a free market so if I want to sell you junk bonds, you also can buy it, right? But it makes no sense, but people buy it, right? So it, it, it's all about demand and, and supply. So this is this, that companies like Visa, whatever, jump on it, makes sense. They get a lot of free advertising, a lot of noise, whatever. So it's, it's cheap for them. You pay a couple of thousand bucks for this and you have free advertising worldwide, pretty cool. And when the thing goes up in value, even better, right? I mean, yeah. who are you going to be, right? But when it gets more and more commercial traction, I truly believe it's the same like Bitcoin. Bitcoin has not so much commercial traction. It's almost un very unlikely, in my opinion, it will dis disappear. I just can't see that. I'm not going to say that's not possible, but in my opinion, it's just very unlikely. You know. And this is just where we're going. We're going in a world where value for things just is in a transition like we call this not transitory right lovely new word right like holistic <laughs> used to be the nice word before right <laughs> so so we live in this world and 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 things have a value and you say it's not worth it to me i say it's not worth it to me and somebody says it's worth to me to spend a million euros on this right mm. so who's now wrong right time will tell when I bought Bitcoin, everybody was like, what do you buy some electricity you can store in your computer? What is that? All right. Now they're quiet. I remember <laughs> my ex, like, when, when I bought the NF, when I bought the Bitcoin, my ex are like, are you retarded? Why are you spending the money on that? Right. She sent me a text message a couple of months back. Like I should potentially also bought some like, oh, well, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, lots of lessons learned about risk in retrospect in the last few years. I mean, no. sometimes you have to take a risk, even you potentially could lose the money. Mm. Right. So it helps, of course, if the money doesn't really hurt you. Right. Like yeah. something costs 50 rand and you say, well, I buy it and it goes to 50,000 rand. It's easy. But if you have 100 runs and you have to spend 50 rand, that's a lot of money. Right. Mm. I'm not going to buy that. Right. I mean. That's that's a bit also the thing of, of, of I think of acceptance of things. If you are in a position where funds just are easy available, you can make decisions very different and you just have a limited amount of money mm. and you have to spend it on, on various things. Right. Hmm. It's fascinating, Peter, that you managed to keep a very open mind as it relates to many investments, whether it's cannabis, crypto, NFTs, you name it, you know, and you, you tend to find that many of the old, older school, traditional, institutional guys, I mean, granted, there is the element of compliance and regulatory overhang, etc. But there does seem to be this little bit of a clinging to the old guard where there's guys who will still go out and, and run, you know, the valuation multiples to make sure, okay, this is, I'm going to stick to a value investing lens or I'm not going to touch certain stocks because it's overvalued. And I mean, Peter, you know, you and I have this conversation all the time. In the last 12 years, the stock market has been valued for all 12 years. You know, okay, granted, there's a COVID dip, but 
if you had adopted that stance, you would have made no money. Correct. But as long as you put free money into the market, the stock will go up because there's nowhere else to go. You know, I mean, there's no alternative investment. Even you buy crypto, whatever, it's limited to some degree, right? So then, and, and people buy things, even in the stock market. I mean, look, you have the meme stocks, whatever. People go in there and say, you know, buy this, buy that. They don't know what the heck they're even doing. They're just buying it and it goes up. <laughs> so what? That, that, that's you 2021. Know, that's the future we're in. So that's, that's the reality. There's no <laughs> underlying research. There's nothing. Somebody tells you do that and you do. If somebody would tell you jump out of a fucking plane with no parachute, you're like, yes, let's do it. <laughs> right? No, you would not. But, but this is the way it goes. And because it always goes up, it does. And some people maybe get burned down the line, already did. But it's not really that bad like it used to be. When, when the market one day will come down, people get marching calls and all kinds of things. The music will change, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the way we, we value things will change again. Valuation is like, uh, people tell me, you know, Elon Musk is 200 billion bucks rich, whatever. Like, yeah, really? And now what? What's he going to do with the money? Like, he's going to sell the company tomorrow? Like, if he will put all the stocks on the market tomorrow, the company goes in the toilet faster than you and I can say toilet together. Mm -hmm. It's not possible because nobody will take that amount of stocks from the market in a period of time without it will just drop, right? Mm -hmm. So this is one thing. And, 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 and the old guards, well, you know, old people are old people. I see this myself, you know. I mean, it gets more difficult to, to bend down, to tie your shoes and things like that, you know, to buy <laughs> slippers. You know, and, <laughs> and, and so it's just, it, it's sometimes hard. But the thing is also, I think for us as institutional investors, just the narrative has changed in context of so long we did not have real correction. We had once. So we had like the market went down and up, what, in like three weeks? Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, that's like you go to the Maldives on holiday. You know, that's nothing. <laughs> Yeah. And and it technically created an opportunity where you literally could buy things up and just make money, right? Mm -hmm. So nobody really got hurt, right? But when you look, for example, pension funds, whatever, when how they invest money in America, you like whatever. They they went into the market when the stock were the highest at one time. And then when the market dropped, it was like in the seventies or afterwards. I don't remember. I have to check. But, but somehow like that time. So the market dropped and then it was the cheapest ever and they only put 9% of their assets into the stock. So, you know, and this is, mm -hmm. this is how it could be, right? When we have this conversation again in two years and we potentially had the market correction in this time, a lot of things will sound very different than it does now. Mm. You know? Peter, in your view, what, what's the likely catalyst for that? Because, you know, you had the conversations around inflation and now everyone, your favorite word, everyone looks at inflation being transitory and inflation didn't derail the market, even though yields actually ended up spiking at some point. Um, at what point do you think it, it's going to, the music will stop playing? Is, does it come down to the Fed turning the taps off? Does it come down to just mass panic? And, I'm struggling to see it now because it just seems like it will go on forever and we know it won't. It will not. And that's, that's, that's very hard to answer because 
the last crisis in 2009, the Fed and all of that, they, they, they cut the, the, the support too fast and then the market took a dive, right? Um, so the question is if this time we do it a bit better. We've got lucky this time because we have COVID, right? And COVID already is gone, right? Of course. Uh, we're all going to go to the beach very soon with no masks and having a great time somewhere. Probably on Mars or something, right? No one day <laughs> wants to fuck off. Um, I'm buying my ticket right now. Isn't yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, a guy left Pretoria, right? We can all understand that, right? <laughs> so, uh, so, but, too, too close to home, man. Too close. Sorry, but yeah, I've been there a few times. I, I, I'm one day I, I will understand that today is not that day. Um, so if if the feds will increase the federal reserve banks and the world will increase the interest rates things will become more expensive that will have a negative impact if the quantitative easing will go away that will have a negative impact for now this looks like it will continue at least for maybe a year hard to say this all comes down literally on on assessments based upon what gets said today the, the checks and hold meeting will be over, the guy will talk, right? Mm. So people will listen to whatever he has to say. So it's kind of stupid that one person has that much power, but it's just the reality, right? Mm. So people will look into what he says and based upon that, they will make decisions. So this is this, but there's just so much things connected, uh, which are not solved. A lot of people have a lot of debt, given also the COVID situation in general. The debt in the United States for college student is an issue that mm. one day we'll have to pay. The debt we take on now for the whole COVID relief one day will come to us. That will be also fun. How are we going to do that? So this is just all things we roll down the road in front of us. And the question is how much it will take. That that uh, Japanification, whatever you want to call it, of the markets will not work. We see in Japan, right? They have what they roll over now, what, 200% of the GDP or something? I don't know, something or even more. Yeah, yeah. But they still have a very good credit rating, right? And we, mm. we debate about South Africa having a little bit of debt and you have already junk bond status, right? Lovely. You know, that's the reality we live in. So this is sometimes for me a bit funny. And the second thing is the markets as a, as a whole just have changed to shift to retail investors with uh, direct access to markets. You can trade from your phone, whatever should not be underestimated it it has uh, quite an impact which is good it's a democratization of the market people have access to information potentially use it or just use it the, the tools without the information is also a solution if you want it's your money not mine um so that will have an impact um but yes down given backtrack record track record in the back rather we have to admit that any federal decision, any government decision will potentially stop it at one mm. stage. But that's not necessarily a bad thing because then the money will shift into the emerging markets, which is a good thing, in my opinion. So, so the question is just where you stage that. When you're looking at the JSE in South Africa and the stocks which are in there, they're so heavily underpriced. There's a lot of potential in there, you know. So, and these companies are not run really bad. It's just there's no volatility in the market. There is nothing, nothing, nothing. But 
some of these companies to me look pretty attractive like you could literally just buy them for a song and so that's pretty good but the environment technically is negative right so so that's always the point so the question is what you're looking at if, if you if we're looking at the noise people make you would have to look what it is but what people don't understand institutional investors don't really care about you know where the stocks are like because we look at potential in other markets because for us it's cheap. We like something which is cheap. I don't have to buy an Apple stock which is almost trading an all-time high or whatever when I can buy something for nothing, right? Mm. That's the difference. This Did is we... also to come back mm. to the time you ask me about when yeah. you go out. Is You said the time where you go in and then you go out and that's many time at a lower valuation or a lower price because then you just shift to something else, but you already made your money by then, so it's fine. You just take it and you leave, right? Mm -hmm. mm. You know, it's interesting, Peter, you speak about the, the wave of retail investing and this absolute army of people that have just changed the face of trading through democratization. You know, something we work on all the time, building FinTech to help connect uh, investing to retail investors and the one question that comes up a lot is should i spend the time deciding on which companies to pick or should i just invest in an etf you know and and just stick my money in it you know notwithstanding there's a concentration risk and etfs have become so much cheaper now you know with retail investors who has never had experience investing Good idea, maybe lot, maybe upskill, make a call on stocks. What's your view? That's very hard to answer because you, I have a different point of view. Like I, I'm the person, I trade a stock, I want to know what they're doing, right? Yeah. So that's that's like if you if you buy an ETF, you don't really care what's in there, right? You're looking at what kind of return they did. Kathy <laughs> Wood is getting pissed off, yeah. <laughs> If you that, yeah, like put I mean, everything into arc, you know, put everything in. Yeah. yeah, but she's smart, right? And she has a track record where she come from, where she is, is not so bad. And we'll see down the line where it goes, right? But we have to admit, not everything people do is great, right? So that's that. So even even Soros and whoever the hell is out there had, had runs which were good and then they had runs which were negative, mm -hmm. right? So it's this. In the end, what matters is the long long-term track record everything else is just noise um etfs i like and i don't like what what matters there literally is just i would say the management fees and all the fees attached to it whatever i technically would look what's in there because i kind of would like to know what i'm going into second thing is is there like uh can you get out of it or can you go out out of it things like this you know like if you need the cash tomorrow and you can't get out of it then you then you're screwed right mm. um so those things, but I like stocks just because then I know actually what I have, you know. So, but yeah, of course you bear a different kind of risk. The, the return is as it is. And it's that. So we use ETFs in our business pretty much just for leverage. You know, if they're cheap, we throw it in there and we wait it out and then we throw it back on the market. This is that, but uh, I'm not really a fan of it, quite mm. frankly. Yeah. I mean, if, 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 if I... If I'm black rot, I love it. You know, <laughs> <I'm not>. Yeah. <laughs> Larry Fink, laughing all the way to the bank. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, when you see that State Street and all these companies, the amount of money they put in this in these things, right? It's nuts. And but I I'm still waiting. What's gonna happen when we have uh, the stock market will retract a lot, and how that will affect the ETF market? I still have my questions how that will work because the last time it happened it went really well so nobody really pulled money out or there was no not really you know a, a bad thing but when 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 the market should really take a dive once and for a longer i really want to see how that market will get affected because that never really happened till now you know mm. peter we, we had this conversation a while back around the correlation between the constituents within an ETF, for instance, a crypto ETF, you know, where you actually <laughs> end up buying, you're buying amplified, amplified beta, right? You, you're not getting yeah. any diversification. Huh. I mean, you know, you, you, you can buy also five white t-shirts if you like, right? That's cool. <laughs> you know? Shout out the t-shirt store. <laughs> t-shirt, oh, yes, t-shirts. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, okay. So you know, I mean, diversify, diverse, diver, diversification is a good thing. ETFs do that, or whatever. But um, I said I would see what what is in there if you really want to go in that direction. But I'm just the person, you know. I rather buy the stock and sit it out, buy it at the right price, whatever, um, or even crypto and full out. Like I own the damn thing at least, right? Mm. And you know. Monday, I will buy stocks from a mutual bank one day when, when they start <laughs> somewhere. That was a donation. We're not going to get the mutual bank money back. It is done. We're, we're a few days out from when the share certificates are supposed to go out as, as we record this. So I'm, I'm waiting eagerly in anticipation for my share certificates. Wong is very deep. He bought 5%. He may need to make a mandatory <laughs> offer here. You know, oh, what the hell? To all, his, all the shareholders. Look at you. Yo. Berlin. <laughs> no, look, it's it. Yeah, listen, crazy time to be to be in the market. But Peter, a, a lot of people have also asked. Look, how how do you make it work, right? You said you by till till a.m. you have read twelve newspapers. You know, you're always in the market. You're always online. I've had conversations with you at sometimes. You know. 11, 12, 1, 2 in the morning, whatever it is, wherever you are in the world. How, how do you even get a work-life balance? I know you've told me that you haven't taken a holiday in, in a while. Yeah. How, how do you make this work? Oh, you know, there's a difference in life between if you have to work for money or to support a family or uh, to have a job or whatever. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, like you're an employee, you sit at home on the sofa. I mean, I don't know how that is like. I've never been there, but I can imagine that's not a pretty place to be. And then somebody offers you a job, right? Whatever job it is, and you like, I take it because I, I can make life, I can make a living. So you're part of a society, you're part of a group. So it gives you a boost, right? And this is the kind of thing, well, potentially, right? Depends, of course. And for me, it was always the intrinsic motivation just to build things. I'm interested that we can put ideas in motion, if that makes sense. I want to mm -hmm. try things, whatever it is. And the thing with that in life is what I found out very early in life is that 
The only thing how you can do that is you spend time. So the only asset I always had to my advantage over everybody else is I can just work like an idiot and I don't need a lot of sleep, right? I mean, you start to look really ugly after time, but who cares? People never see you, right? So <laughs> uh, say that. That's a different story, right? Well, right? Moving is laughing is and he's man? crying. He's, he's laughing and crying. I'm just, where's, my, where's my tissues? No, like every time I, I speak to the man, he just tells me, please stop, you know, starting new businesses. I don't want you every, to text me. The, this is not an exaggeration. Five out of the last five conversations we've had, there's like a new business that comes out of it, including today. So, <laughs> yeah, that's good. You know, that's good. Not all of them will work, but it's a good approach. Right? <laughs>